Welcome to Ordinary to Extraordinary with your hosts, Stephen Brown and Ben Clint, for one or two more. <laughs> ben, just yeah. Stephen Brown. Yeah. What did uh, What did we talk about today, Ben? Um, I think we talked about golf. We did a little bit. What else? Um, money. Risk. Topic is <laughs> risk. Risk. Risk is what we talked about. That was the overarching topic. Yeah. Yeah. We risk. got into financial risk, personal risk, um, misconceptions of risk. Yeah, and how some risk. people some people are averse versus uh, willing to mitigate risk. Aversion yeah. versus mitigation. Yeah, that was a good one. So lots of good stuff. I take a so. risk. Listen to it. Yeah. No, I see what you did there. Anyway, <laughs> don't know what what episode number this is but uh here we go boom what it is how are you doing good can you hear me okay i can you're just going normal speaker okay. i wasn't sure if this mic's picking it up or not. oh i had a nice little round of golf yesterday I counted my shots, even the one that went into the water, Stephen. So then you dropped one, you counted the next one? Yeah. It, yep. So I had two strokes that I had to add there, which was, felt really nice. I really enjoyed that. That's always a pleasant experience. Yeah, you've got a habit of not counting those. <laughs> this year, I've been better about that. Because I'm trying to, like you know, know what I actually shoot, you know, like before I didn't really care. So, mm -hmm. but now I want to know what I'm shooting. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's do a disclaimer. So if sound quality is not where it normally is, it's because we're using Zoom or Google Meets to record this because I'm in quarantine. I tested positive for, for the COVID this week and I'm staying at home. So I'm going to record here. I'm doing fine. I had one day that I was really sick, but I've been taking ivermectin for seven, six days now, and I'm pretty much back to normal. So um, there you go. It looks you like you even did your hair to not leave the house today. That's good. Actually, I woke up this pretty. Look, I haven't done my hair. I've got a cow lick in the back. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I do see a hair out of place. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Your camera is actually not crisp at all. It's pretty... Around me is blurred. I do that when I'm on work calls here. I'll show you. Um, so you can change the background. So if I do this, everything will clear up. See? But it, the funny thing is it a little bit like blurs your face. Mm -hmm. A little too, because it like blurs your sides. Yeah, but so now it's, it's like normal, this, right? This <laughs> What's that? Now it's normal because I took away the blur. Yeah. Yeah, I just blur yeah. the backgrounds when I'm on work calls. It's just... Because if I'm doing a work call at home here, I sit at this little kitchen table, and yeah. the background is that. Yeah, people get to look at the microwave and your pills on the counter back there. Oh yeah, that's my so, that's my ivermectin protocol. So. That's your ivermectin. Ivermectin. That's just a fun word to say. Yeah, the ivermectin. Did you, you watch... say it like a deep Scottish accent too? Yeah. Did you watch the video I sent you on that? The 50-minute one? No, I have not watched the 50-minute video yet. <laughs> no. Well, so just to – I said I was going to tell you this on the phone, and I never called you. Um, no, you didn't. 
the doctor, I told him I'd been taking ivermectin when I got tested on Monday. So Saturday yeah. is when I felt sick. Saturday and a Sunday, I broke the fever. I've just been kind of fatigued and brain fog since then. Um, but the doctor, I told him I'd been taking ivermectin. He got, and he said, I'm not allowed to prescribe that. I got an order from on high that we're not allowed to prescribe it. And I'm like, wait, you're a physician and you're not allowed to prescribe a drug that you know might be able to help. And he's like, yeah, I don't agree with it, but I'm not allowed to. And I was like, okay. So he was kind of standoffish on talking about it. He, he said a few things like, I wish we could research it more. I wish we could prescribe it. I wish we could just try it, is what he was yeah. saying. So then when he called me with the results about half an hour later, he straight up just says to me, yep, he's like, you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to be just fine. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, I, I'm getting what you're putting down there. I'm so there's something going on. Down. It's messed up. It's messed up. It is messed up. Well, it's a lot of things are messed up in this world, but what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. So what anyway, um, what we're recording on today, Ben, do you want to frame it? Welcome, everybody. Do all that fun stuff. All that fun stuff. Yeah. We're, we're coming up on some of my last recordings, Stephen. So this is my last time to frame potentially. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But um, so Stephen and I, we're, we're not recording on our normal Monday. We're recording on a Friday morning. So that's a little different for us just in general. So if we're just a little foggier, that's because for one, it's the end of the week and Stephen has COVID. But <laughs> so as far as topics we really up until 20 minutes prior to when we were supposed to record initially after steven got delayed on a phone call for 30 minutes uh we didn't know what we were going to record on but this morning i was thinking a little bit and one that kind of came to me that a topic that i really enjoy talking about and and think is a is a topic that actually has a lot of depth to it but something that we don't really get a chance to dig into very much and it's kind of a very just blah topic sometimes and when i don't say blah as in boring i say blah as in just it's you know it's different is is the concept of risk right and i say that the concept of risk not just risk because i think a lot of the times people misinterpret what risk is and and uh, they do things and or don't do things because there's just too much risk involved but so wanted to break down kind of what risk what at least you know the areas of risk, how you tackle risk, um, and, and, and what it means when you overcome it, right? And you overcome the fear of risk. So uh, not a whole lot more than that in terms of framing, but yeah, that's kind of the concept. It might take, you know, 30 minutes or two hours, who knows? Well, not two hours, because I got a meeting. Yeah. No, I, I like the concept of risk. And the reason I think talking, well, the last 18, 19, 20 months have been a, uh, a lesson in risk and yeah. you know what what risks you're willing to take right so just talking about COVID in general you've got the people that want to wear masks stay at home lock everything down and completely avoid risk you get people that want to mitigate risk and it's like hey I'll do what I need to do to be safe and try and help others and then you get the people that don't see any risk and are kind of care, carefree careless um, yeah. you know, and none of them are necessarily right or wrong. Everybody has their opinion on how that risk should have been handled. But no, I mean, risk is, is everywhere. Um, yeah. whether it be your financial decisions, your professional decisions, relationship decisions. Well, moving, moving Florida. Yeah. I mean, I was, 
I was thinking about you a little bit in that, right? It's like people are like, oh, there is, I'm doing air quotes here. There's risk involved with that, right? It's like, and, and but this is where I think people mistake risk. So let's talk a little bit about definitions, right? Because we like our definitions. So risk, mm -hmm. a situation involving exposure to danger, right? A situation involving exposure to danger is the definition of risk. So what I think is interesting is a lot of people think that the fear of the unknown is risk, right? It's like, and in, in, in my mind, whether it's right or wrong, I think those are different things. So as I said, don't, don't mistake uh, risk and ch the change, right? The fear of the unknown as, as risk, because risk is danger. Fear of the unknown is just the fear of the unknown. You just don't know what the outcome is going to be. So you call that risk. When in reality, that's not really risk. That's just, you just don't want to have to change because you don't know what the outcome's going to be. And those are very different things. But a lot of people blame the second one and call it risk. When in reality, mm -hmm. it's not. It's just, you're scared to change. Yeah. You got no, and, and so people, to your point, the mistake change as risk. I don't see any risk in moving to Florida. I genuinely don't. Um, you know, are there things that are going to be maybe a little more difficult? Are there things that I'm going to have to adjust to by all means? But what's the risk? I mean, well, you and I, I, I see no risk. Yeah, there, and, and I agree because I think what people are what people would call risk is that fear of the unknown. It's like, you know, you don't necessarily know exactly how everything's going to work when you go down there. Like, it's not all perfectly dialed. You have an idea of where you want to live. You know, you know, the neighborhood, you have a couple of buildings picked out, but I mean, you don't know who you're going to be hanging out with every Friday night. Like, you don't know. There's just things you just, you can't know, right? Like in anything you step into, there's going to be things that aren't perfect, you know, hundred percent planned out for you. So mm -hmm. that was the, what I think is kind of interesting. And a lot of people don't take the, again, air quotes, the risk of jumping because they don't have it all planned out. So yeah. that's well, kind of why. This is, I mean, there's been more than three, I guess, but this would be my fourth major, major move. Let me count here. So when I first came to the States, right? So 2003, I left behind everything I knew to come here to, to work for what was going to be three months, ended up being six months, ended up being 18 years. <laughs> so... Yeah, I've already made one major move like that. I was in Wisconsin, had the chance to move to Chicago full-time and, and move into a sales role. I did that. From Chicago, I took a risk and moved. And again, risk is, is subjective. Moved across the country, foreign with a girl. Um, lived with her for a year, didn't work out. Ended up staying in Spokane um, because of that. I've been here 12 years and at this point it's just, well, what's another move, right? So yeah. I think well, you get used to it too, I think, to some degree, right? Like the, everything is scary the first time you do it, but it's like after you do it once or twice, like you start to to know the process, you, you know that like, oh, I, I'm i going to come out of this just fine, even if there is a negative outcome. So mm -hmm. great. Another thing I just wrote down, which you kind of alluded to, is like, I'm sure that the first time when you came from Scotland to the U.S., I'm sure you were fearful. You know, well, you're okay. Ninety-nine percent of people in this world, with the exception of Stephen, because he's God's gift to this green earth, 
would be fearful of, you know, like, yeah, you're going across the country, you're going to another place, like, but that's, the fear is not risk at the same time, mm -hmm. is what I'm getting at here. It's like, fear and risk are, 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 are different things. And I guess maybe don't mistake when I said, don't mistake fear or the change of, you know, or the change, like the fear of the unknown, just fear in general. It's like, fear is not risk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I, sh I shook my head and I don't think I'm better than anybody just for the record. And um, that's not where I was going when I shook my head and said, no, I wasn't fearful. I've always just been of the opinion that if something doesn't, and I think this is a good place to be mentally, if something doesn't work out, it's not because there wasn't fear and there wasn't risk. It's just because, okay, it didn't work out. Go backwards, go, go reevaluate. Yeah. So for me, it was, there was no fear because I didn't, I mean, it, it wasn't like my life was at stake. It wasn't like I was doing something that was irreversible. It was just, Hey, I'm going to go and try working in this different country. And yeah. So, that being said, I think that leads into risk tolerances. And obviously, this is something that mm -hmm. you think about and talk about daily in your line of work, right? Yeah. Um, and, and to a certain extent, I do as well. So every time I submit an account, we have to do a risk calculation because we're extending credit. Um, you know, and we don't want to be, for want of a better cliched term, be too far out over our skis on a business and be leveraging or extending them massive amounts of credit for 30 days at a time with a chance that we don't ever recoup that right so for you it's a little different in that when you're talking to couples or individuals mm -hmm. you're saying hey we mm -hmm. can make more money the idea is that we invest in asset classes that you have input in that we recommend but if you're terrified of losing money we're obviously going to look at things that have got a, a more conservative track record and maybe offer small returns versus hey we're going to go completely into these uh high cap gains funds and we're going to just you know nobody knows what these companies are going to do but if they come off you're going to be loaded <laughs> yeah yeah the, the, all the unknowns i would yeah. say a portion of my job is uh marrying up risk right so it's marrying up the risk of the individual and helping them define that and then taking that and matching it to whatever the allocation is to your point, right? Like, cause there are varying risks associated with investments. So, I mean, you could be from, from, from cash to nanotech, right? Cash, pretty low risk. <laughs> Some nanotech startup. Wow. Pretty, pretty high risk. <laughs> A lot of mm -hmm. unknown there. Right. And so I think that is, is the, the, the what, what's the potential outcomes that can happen. Right. But, but yeah, no, you're right. And, I tell people it's like I've gotten good at calculated risks, right? And learning, learning like, hey, what's going to give you the best ROI? Not necessarily just obviously financially, but like, if we're talking about financials, which is good and bad, because sometimes when you understand how to calculate risk, you don't always want to take the biggest risks, you know, which could lead to great things and could lead to riches, but you don't want to do it because you understand like, oh man. You could potentially have to lose lose it all. You'd have to rebuild it, and you could rebuild it and do it again. But that would be a painful experience to go through and lose it for potentially something great or not. You just don't know, right? And so I think one of the things I wrote down is when it comes to risk, sometimes ignorance is bliss. <laughs> sometimes mm -hmm. not knowing the risks are the best, right? You talk with some of these entrepreneurs, and they're like, I couldn't do what I did today 
uh, I couldn't do what I did back then today. And, and they say that, but, and, and, and they couldn't financially because they have, you know, debts and things now. And, you know, but they also mentally now they're like, I've become accustomed to living a certain way. And I, and I understand now the risk that I took to start this business or, you know, and it's like, holy crap, <laughs> there was some risk associated with that. And I didn't realize it until now, like even finance, when we talk about I'm like, you so you go five years with no pay. And by the way, you can grind for five years and you have to quit. You didn't make it and you got to go find a job. Right. And so it's like, there's a risk of not getting paid for five years and there's monetary loss. What that means if you could have been paid. So, mm -hmm. but you, you look back on it after you get through it and you, you know, and you're successful. It's like, Oh, Jesus. Yeah. There was some risk in there. The, 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 no wonder the failure rates in the nineties and people drop out, you know, it's like, Oh, okay. I'm like, that's, that's a different experience than I experienced. Uh, but now looking back on it, I can see how people feel that way. Yeah. I think one of the things that I've noticed in the last five years or so is more and more people seem to be coming risk averse versus, you know, they don't want to mitigate risk. They want to avoid risk. They want to avoid uncomfortable situations. They don't want to get to the point that um, they might lose, but they might also succeed. So an example I'd give of that is a guy I went to school with who missed a lot of opportunities because everything he was doing was to try and get great grades at school. Um, and he always used to say, he learned more than everybody else because he was studying hard at school and he was going to have the best grades and all the rest of it. The guy's an engineer and he doesn't earn more than me. He doesn't earn more than a lot of people, right? But he studied hard. His grades were wonderful. But when I look back on the things he missed out on because he wanted to stay home and study and was kind of compelled to stay home and study. So even when he didn't want to, parents kind of forced him to. Um, and I'm like, I'd rather fail an exam and have a great experience. Like I didn't give a flying monkeys about school. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a bad example and a good example, but I look at it from the perspective that he missed out on so many great experiences that have, I still hold dear to this time because he wasn't willing to take a risk on, all right, yeah, maybe you get a B instead of an A. Maybe you get, you know, an A minus instead of an A plus. But well, then you've got an experience that's a life experience and makes you a better person overall, you know? You know what's interesting and what you're talking about really is opportunity cost. Yeah. One thing over the other, right? So he got an A instead of a B, but the cost to do that was probably some degree lack of social life, maybe not involved in sport like you were or whatever. Um and, and that was his choice or his parents' choice inflicted upon him. I don't know, you know how, how that worked out. But so in everything, there's that. And I guess the other part of it is like talking about is the opportunity cost worth the incremental, again, air quotes, benefit that you're going to get, right? Is, is the lack of his involvement in sport and clubs and, you know, developing friendships and social skills, was that worth the A over the B? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the time the answer is no, <laughs> because, you know, there's, oh, there's obviously exceptions. And I'm not saying I'm like, don't encourage your kids to get good grades and work hard. But at the same time, I do think that like, we want to encourage people to be well-rounded individuals. 
and not put their whole identity in one particular thing like grades, like a lot of parents, you know, inflict upon their kids. Yeah, no, for sure. But to yeah, come back to that, there. <laughs> to come back to the thing about mitigation versus aversion, right? I yeah. think obviously risk mitigation isn't, it's probably the healthier of the, totally. of the outlooks, you know, because uh-huh. what you're doing is you're saying, I understand there could be negative ramifications here. I understand that if I don't do everything I'm supposed to do here, the outcome isn't going to be how we drew it up, right? So, but you also understand that if you do do all the things you're supposed to do, and if things do play out, even almost the way you're planning them to, Mm -hmm. you're going to come out ahead of where you are, right? You're going to come out in a better situation versus the aversion, risk aversion is, you know, not investing. How many people do you know that just sit on stockpiles of cash and think they're good and then they're not really good because when it comes time to retire, yeah, they've got a savings account, but it hasn't grown, right? Yeah. Or yeah. they're they stay in a job for twenty years before realizing, oh God, I've been miserable for fifteen of these last twenty years. I don't like this. Now can I go and learn a new skill? Should I go and learn a new skill? And obviously the answer is yes, but then you spend more time sort of being risk averse and saying, no, I, I'm, this, is my, this is my comfort zone. This is what I know kind of thing. So <clears throat> when I meet people that are very risk averse or don't want to take any kind of uh, chance, yeah, yeah. It, it, it upsets me. It just doesn't sit right with me. Um, and Sometimes you can't change people's outlook, nor should you try to. But I think given perspective and letting people know, hey, look, I've taken lots of chances in my life. I've taken risks, quote unquote, that most of the time other people saw massive risks, whereas all I saw was the upside if it did play out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I tend not to I tend not to think about the downside because if you do, that's, you know, it's that whole uh, manifestation of what you focus on. I would say this is funny because I I wrote like some steps to frame risk. And Mm -hmm. so I am, I'm different than that, than what you're saying. Like you tend to not think about the downside. I will think about the downside and not in a negative way, but to help set my mind to like, because I, I, we did this when I was getting into finance, right? It's like, I knew I had to bring in a million dollars my first year or else I got fired. So it's like, okay, I'm out of school graduate i could go get a job get a salary get benefits do that whole thing right or i could take uh, a leap and i could go and i could get into finance uh no salary you start at zero build something right and you got to bring a million bucks in like i said or you get canned okay so worst case scenario is after a year of trying to build something i lose my job um what what did i invest into that uh a year's worth of my time uh, what did I gain from it? Uh, a lot of sales experience. <laughs> the con- you know what it feels like to actually take risk, and then worst case scenario, I go and I get the very job which I would have applied for a year prior. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's kind of the funny part, right? And so, and so what what I said is like, what can actually happen if the risk, like the fear of the worst case scenario, happened? Is what I always go and I identify what that that worst case scenario is and then i identify uh what would be my reaction in that scenario if the worst case came about what would be my reaction how would my life change how would it be affected you know upon me but then 
Uh, and then how will I come back from it? Right. I think it is, is the big one. Right. So when I talked about when you said you don't really think about the worst case because you want to manifest the positive, like I think about the worst case, but I think about what is my action plan to come out of that worst case in mm -hmm. the event that it were to happen to then realize a positive outcome. You know, it might not be the outcome that I had hoped for, but a positive outcome nonetheless. Right. It's like I didn't make my first year in finance. I have to go get a job. Okay, what's gonna what's that gonna look like to go get a job? And, and you walk through the worst case scenario. And a lot of the times when I do it at least, it's like, oh, okay, that's I mean, it's very uncomfortable and not enjoyable and not what I hope happens, but at least I have an action plan, right? I've got a plan of attack in the event that the worst case scenario, the risk uh, does not work out in my favor. So I, I, I do it differently, but I agree with your manifestation thing. I don't think about the risk. I don't think about the worst case scenario and let it cripple me. I focus on the positives, right? And the positive actions that are going to be good. But mm -hmm. I also have a plan for, if, you know, shit goes sideways, essentially. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's good to uh, hope for the best plan for the worst, um, so to speak. But yeah. let me ask you this. What do you think in your adult life the biggest risk you've taken is? Uh, and I think ours are both going to be fairly similar. <laughs> oh, do you think? Uh, in my adult life? That's a, I mean, honestly, it's like getting married and having children is a risk. <laughs> and a pretty big <laughs> one. Because people change over time. <laughs> so, I mean, to just to be real. like Yeah. But it, your your commitment to it, I think, is what is what obviously stays. And it, it's you know you love your partner, but life changes too. Mm -hmm. All right, I was expecting a different answer from you. Um, my my biggest risk, I think, I've taken in my adult life is taking a commission only sales role. Literally, hey, if you don't do this, you don't earn money. Um, uh, yeah, that's um, kind of an obvious one. To me. <laughs> like, yeah, but. I mean, it's a risk, right? So no, for me, it was, it was... We could have gotten paid nothing. The risk was, hey, if you don't work, you don't get paid. But the upside was, hey, I'm gambling on myself. I know what I'm capable of doing. I know my adaptability. I know my aptitude to learn and grow and not just try and do things my own way all the time. Like if what I'm doing isn't working, then I'm willing to let, stand on the shoulders of giants, so to speak, and yeah. learn. Um, which is what I did early on with Heartland. I, I sought out the, the top performers, the people that had been here for a long time, were successful repeatedly and said, hey, well, what are you doing that I can do and how can we, how can we replicate this? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, that, that, I mean, that, that was a huge risk for me. You know, I went from always having a salary before. Even in my sales gigs, I was salary plus commission. So, yeah. to go to residual income based on what I'm able to produce only. And then, mm -hmm. yeah, that was a, that was a big step and a big risk, which I'm glad. Worked out. For me to some degree, it's like, I never had a salary ever. Yeah. So it's like, I didn't know anything different. Right. So it's that ignorance thing to some degree, you know, and, and it was, you know, being a you know business owner to some degree, like was modeled for me by my parents who my entire life have, been business owners right so th there's no guaranteed income when you're a business owner either so mm -hmm. uh, for me i guess the risk was maybe i was ignorant to it to some degree 
you know, it's, it's just like, well, that's what you do. That's what was modeled for me. So mm -hmm. I acknowledge the fact that absolutely there was, you know, I could have gotten paid zero, <laughs> which is a risk. Yeah. And that's the opposite for me. I mean, I remember even when I was in sales roles in Chicago, my, uh, my, my sister-in-law, my brother's wife, she, uh, she used to ask me like if I was at their house and I'd bust out the laptop to finish a, a uniform order or speak to a client or something. She's always like, and on a Saturday, maybe a Thursday night or something, she'd be like, are you getting paid for this right now? And my answer was always the same. It's like, well, yeah, I'm getting paid all the time. And, yeah. You know, in, in her mind, it was like an hourly pay thing. And it's like, no, that's not, that's not how I'm getting paid. So I'm not clocking on right now for 10 minutes mm -hmm. and clocking off when I'm off the phone. I just know that down the line, this sale is worth X amount of dollars to me. So it's worth 10 minutes of my time on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah. to step away from a family barbecue or something right um, yeah, and i'm not hard. so i think that was uh to your point it was modeled to you in that regard that that's just what you do to me all of all of my family have and to this day still they all have base salaries and you know they're they're very uh very much like clock on clock off which isn't necessarily a bad thing um it's just not no. for me I'm wired yeah. differently from them. So it's yeah, funny. Risk, risk reward. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I, well, I was just going to say, it's like, it's funny. So we're talking about this. Lauren and I are talking about this with regard to our, our boys. It's like, how do you instill work ethic? Um, but also the concept of risk reward into your kids, right? Because I think a lot of people lack that and, and they don't fully understand it, right? And they assume that, you know, so-and-so makes a lot of money and it's unfair that they make a lot of money because I work 40 hours a week too. It's like, uh, yeah, we all, okay, we work 40, 50, 60 hours a week. We all work the same times, whatever. It's like, and some of us get paid more than others and that's unfair, right? In their mind, that's unfair. It's like, well, you didn't want to take the risk. And a lot, so many people don't understand that risk reward metric because, but they don't want to take the risk either. So it's like, well, you don't take the risk. You don't get the reward. You don't, buy a lot of ticket, you don't win the lottery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, if you're not willing to lose the $3 on the lotto ticket, you're not going to win the 30 million or whatever, you know, it's like, that's just life. Well, this, this comes back to something that kind of segued on, on one of our topics a few weeks ago, where what you're describing is equality of outcome versus equality of input. Right. Yeah. So, totally. At every juncture of our life, we have choices to make. And some people take higher risk choices. And some people make safe choices, right? Yeah. Some people choose to go and get an easy degree. And I, I, I use that term loosely. But they go and get yeah. an easy degree, you know, whether it be English or, you know, political science or whatever it is. And then default into teaching or default into a job that's just like, oh, it's going to pay me 40, 50 a year plus benefits plus this, right? Versus the people that maybe drop out of school, take a chance and go, hey, I got this business idea, Jeff Bezos, friggin' uh, any of them, right? Whatever. Uh, uh, Microsoft guy, why can't I think of his name? Brain fog, Bill Gates. Um, <laughs> I was like, Bill Gates? <laughs> Wait, Microsoft guy, seriously? You can't think. Um, yeah. Paul Bill Allen. Yeah. Yeah. Any of them, right? Well, they, yeah. take, they take a chance, they fall out of, of whatever they were going to do and go down a path where it's tough 
they're taking a massive risk. They're mm-hmm. sometimes they're, they're they're gaining capital from other people that are investing in them and their idea. And if they don't if they don't have their idea come to fruition, they're they're in a ton of debt. They're in a hole. But if it does pay off, then they get to where they're at now, right? And they're very wealthy and they're capable of doing things. And one of the things that always kind of gets gets my goat, especially with Bezos and Musk and even Bill Gates and such, when people get mad about the amount of wealth they have, what they don't ever seem to take into consideration is how much wealth they've built for other people and how much happiness and um and great times have built for other people, right? And yeah. I think I've mentioned to you before, like Amazon. Amazon is just a fulfillment website. So yeah. they, when you order from them, often you're ordering from local businesses. They're the reason local businesses were able to stay in yeah. business through COVID and through other things. And um, So, yeah, but the whole equality of outcome is usually based on different risk factors at the start, decisions that people have made based on risk mitigation versus risk aversion. And I don't think we should judge negatively people that take more risks and succeed in the long run. Well, it's just a, I mean, that would be the same of the Olympics. And so are we going to say like, because somebody has better genes that like we we're going to, what are now equality of genes now? Are we going to have to like make sure that everybody's muscle tone is exactly the same so they can all compete or like, you know, the runner has to run with their one of their legs tied together. Like what? <laughs> I mean, maybe we the, should just focus on them having the same chromosomes first. Yeah, <laughs> that figured out. We don't even like that. It, it, it's it, yeah, it's a hard concept for me to wrap my head around sometimes. You know, this yeah. th- that that equality of input versus output thing, right? And I tell people, it's like, hey. I'll share some of my pay with you. If you t- you go take the same risks, and you can have yeah, you get fit, you get half the pay, you get half the risk. You know, yeah. it's like by the way, that means you're in March of 2020, when the market's down 30 percent and your pay's down 30 percent, you also have to take a 30 percent pay cut. They're like, well, I can't do that. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, well then, <laughs> I guess you're not going to get half the pay. Like, it's not yeah. how, that's just how that works. And the same thing happened to me last year. So, you know, I'm heavy in the, the hospitality and restaurant industry. So, yeah, yeah part of my portfolio amazing. wasn't producing last year. Yeah. So, which is life, dude. Like, that's part yeah. of our, that's part, that's the risk of it, right? But is it was it a risk I was willing to take at the start. It's a risk. It's come back since then. I guess we'll see what happens here in the next few months. Yeah. Um, but honestly, it disappears again. Going back to my, the, I said the steps of like framing risk, like, what's the worst case scenario? Okay, uh, your pay goes down thirty percent. Like, what are you? How are you gonna act in that case? Well, I've, you know, identified early on that I need to have a savings account in, in the event that something like this happens, where I needed, you know, capital, right? So, mm-hmm. so you, you look at these things, and what you said to mitigate versus be aversive to. Like, I'm not averse to that risk, but I've mm-hmm. done things to mitigate that to where I would be in a negative position when it does, right? So it's like, oh, you have a savings account, you do these things to help mitigate that risk so that you can get through a tough time. Yeah. And on that, I would say people like you and I, people think it's risky for us to have side investments in different, I mean, multiple, multiple um, threads of income, right? So I have sources of income that 
some people don't even know about, you don't even know about. But I'm always hustling. I'm doing things. I'm trying to make money, whether that be investments privately. You trying to tell me you got an e-commerce website where I can go buy toilet paper? Maybe. <laughs> no, but for real, like you can you can take all these steps right in a multiple revenue streams, which I think everybody should have income streams. Um, and my point is that even though you and I were dealt a bit of a blow in March last year through the next three to six months, we had other ways that we were we'd planned for, right? So yeah, we take risks, but we also hedge your bets a little bit and what we do is probably less risky than if you think about people that only have one job don't have multiple income streams don't invest don't um have yeah. a way to to earn if their job gets shut down because totally. of a pandemic right yeah and i didn't rely on the government once last year neither did you so you know i'm i'm proud of that and i'm I've come out of it on the other side in a much better place. But what what's perceived as risk by some people in terms of what you and I do to make money is actually less risky than putting all your eggs in one basket, having a job and a 401k and benefits. And then a pandemic comes along and your business is shut down and you're not getting paid. Mm-hmm. But then the government has to step in and basically keep you for six months, nine months, whatever it is. So... Yeah. Like I said, risk is so subjective. It's not an objective measurement. It's not something that you can say, well, that's risky and that's not. It's like, well, that's risky in some ways, but if you look on, if you look at this side, what you're doing is also risky if, and nobody saw a pandemic coming, but if a global pandemic hits. <laughs> but yeah. I think the other part of it is like, it's, it could be the same thing. Like we could both be getting into finance, but if one of us has a trust fund, it's a little less risky than the other, right? So everybody's level of risk that they're accepting is going to be different because everybody has different resources coming into something as well, mm-hmm. too. I think it's fair to acknowledge. I mean, I, I, I have said, you know, probably on the podcast before, like everybody has a toolbox, right? And everybody has different tools in their toolbox. I might have a lot, you know, an entire wrench set, whereas you only have an adjustable wrench. And I can get my wrench into a space that you can't. Right. Or I have the right size of wrench to fit that, you know, that nut or that bolt that you don't. Why are you always and, making dirty and you ain't Steven's over here smiling. I was like, oh God, he's gonna make <laughs> dirty. As soon as I said that, I knew it was gonna go dirty. But you still gotta turn the wrench. <laughs> like you still Steven, quit smiling. <laughs> I see that smirk on your face. <laughs> <laughs> You still gotta, you got to, you know, crank that pipe wrench. You got to get her going. Like, you, you know, it won't just turn itself. Just because you have resources it doesn't mean that, like, life just happens. I mean, resources dwindle and die over time. You need to utilize them to still create something, right? So I think that's the part that people forget. It's like everybody's resources are a little different, but you got to do something with the resources. Mm-hmm. I mean, a car doesn't drive yeah. without gasoline. Well, I think this is a good chance for you. So let's say Stephen Brown walks into your office and says, hey, I might hire you as my private wealth advisor. Um, I know you're going to say, get the fuck out <laughs> if it's actually me. But someone walks in your office and sits down. Walk us through the risk assessment that you do, like how you guys figure out people's uh, risk tolerances, so to speak. I think this is a good way for you to sort of... Uh, 
talk about what you do on a day-to-day basis? Because you might have mentioned it before, but I don't remember. I mean, speaking purely to the risk component of what we do, right? I mean, a lot of it's done through conversation, right? You get a good understanding of who somebody is and what their risk level is based upon like kind of probing questions. So we kind of have a few different things that we take people through. Um, one of which is a risk quantification software. So it's an algorithmic based risk quantification software. And it's meant to help people. It's actually forces them to answer a question as to how much loss of money they'd be uh, comfortable losing on their portfolio during a six month period of time. Right. So it says like, Hey, if you have a million dollar portfolio and it dropped by a hundred thousand dollars in six months, like, would you stay invested or would you call me and tell me that we need to sell off, you know, half the portfolio, all the portfolio, uh, if you lost 200,000, like, no, I'm comfortable losing 100. Okay, if you lost 200,000 in it. So we go through this type of of process to help people identify. Uh, and then at the end, it actually spits out a number. And I understand that number better than the client does. But that number is matched to certain indexes, certain allocations as well. So I can take that number that's individual uh, to Stephen and then say, okay, Stephen, based upon what you answered here and what I think I know about you based upon our few meetings. Uh, and if I've known the person for longer than longer, right. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I do believe that that matches up to who you are as a person. And here's the portfolio that I'm recommending based on that. Right. And that doesn't mean that people's risk tolerances don't change over time too. And their goals, their goals, everything changes over time. So it's, it's continually having that discussion with people you know, it's saying like, hey, March 2020 happened and the market dropped 30 plus percent. The portfolio didn't drop 30 plus percent in all people's cases. Some of them did if they were in an all equity portfolio. But like, were you comfortable with that drop? Here's what actually happened. Did you notice that drop? Right. And so for some people like, oh, my gosh, I wouldn't have been comfortable with that. It's like, well, you actually experienced that <laughs> and you mm-hmm. didn't even know. Right. So it's having those types of discussions with people to really set the stage around risk. And then also I tell people. It's my job to push you to the point uh, where you're uncomfortable in a portfolio, in an allocation, not break, because I don't want you to call me during the middle of March 2020 and say, pull everything, move it to cash, because that'd be a very negative thing. I want people to get to the point where they're just outside of their comfort zone, right? Because that means we're stretching for the maximum reward that they can get, you know, that we're getting them the best return that we can get for the amount of uh, risk they're willing to accept. And a lot of times that means people are going to call me and they're going to be like, Ben, you got to talk me off the edge here. Like I have people call me and like, Hey, I know that everything's going to be okay, but I need you to tell me why it's going to be okay and how it's going to be okay. And you have those conversations with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's, it's that's a good approach. Thing. And I think in finance, it's, it's a really good tool to, to use when you're talking about risk aversion versus risk mitigation, right? Yeah. Um, and understanding that, hey, look, when people invest, generally speaking, good investors aren't in one asset class and aren't mm-hmm. in one mutual fund and aren't in one single um, solitary stock. What they're doing is they're saying, hey, look, I like tech. So here's five to 10 secure tech companies. If you want to be in single stocks that you can buy stock in these, they're not going to go up a huge amount, but they're also not going to lose a huge amount. And then you get your medium ones. It's like, Hey, these could go either way, but 
for the most part, they're fairly secure and they're, they're not going anywhere per se. And then there's a the high risk, right? It's like, hey, risk reward on this is huge. So yeah, if you put money in, there's a chance that you could go to the moon, so to speak, or there's a chance that you can go to the, go to the bottom, right? You can lose it all. So it's, yeah. it's understanding that, you know, risk mitigation is about hedging your bets. Risk mitigation is about having a backup plan like you talked about earlier. Like, mm-hmm. hey, I know what could happen if it goes wrong, but I also am focused on what can happen if it goes right, and I'm going to do everything I can, um, both financially, personally, relationship-wise, to, to invest in making it go, go right. Yeah, in the right direction. No. And it's, I mean, I think the thing about risk too is like, I remember the first time Lauren and I were looking at buying a house and we had no debt whatsoever and never have had debt prior to that in our lives. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at this house and for a first home, it was an expensive house. Um, we both had good jobs. We could afford it and had the down payment that we'd been saving all through high school. And so we just had a bunch of money and because <laughs> we were cheap. So I, the, the thought no of cheap. Like, what is still cheap. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. You at least. Yeah. Yeah. We're both frugal. We'll say that. Yeah. We're smart with our money. Um, so, but when we were, had made an offer on this house and it was accepted and the reality hit me that we had to go hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt <laughs> to buy this house. I remember laying in bed, like Lauren and I newlyweds, and I'm like, like having a panic attack, like a breathing panic attack, you know, because like we're going into debt and it's not something that I had ever, and that was really fearful to me, like owing somebody money uh, was just not something I had ever, I mean, if somebody bought me coffee and I owed them 350, it was like I paid them the 350 as soon as that coffee was in my hand. Like I didn't like owing people money uh, and j- debt was bad, right? So, but we followed through on it. We bought the house, you know, I knew that the outcome was going to be positive long-term, not necessarily as quickly as it became with our real estate market, but I'm glad we did it. And Mm -hmm. now it's like when you have an understanding of how to utilize debt in a positive way, you know, not necessarily consumer debt, I'm not talking credit cards or cars or anything like that, but I'm talking to leverage a business, to buy additional real estate, income producing real estate, like those are positives, but it took doing it in overcoming that fear to experience positive outcomes. And once you did, it's easier the second time, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I would, I would jump in there. I think you're, you're spot on in terms of leverage potentially being a good thing. Um, It can also be a bad thing, a really bad thing when you're over leveraged, when you're not doing a decent risk assessment. And we know, we know developers and people that are heavily invested here in Spokane that, in my opinion, and I'm sure yours, are probably over leveraged. They're probably reaching a little bit too far. And I have no idea who you're talking about in particular. <laughs> and last year, especially, almost lost their ass until miraculously someone came in and, and decided to throw some more money their way, hard money. Um, so, yeah, I mean, leverage can be a wonderful thing. And I don't. I just hope some people listen to this. They'll go, "Oh, let's just friggin' go and leverage everything." And and well, I think the part about responsible. You noticed I said like we had saved money to be able to put down, right? Like yeah, 
you, you still got to have the down payment and you still got to have a good debt service ratio, right? I mean, you, your, your income has to be high enough to, mm -hmm. to be able to service that debt in the event that your renters or whoever, whatever the income stream is, that's going to initially cover that debt, that leverage goes away. Yeah. Because that's the other part. Yeah. And I mean, you and I are even very different in our risk, um, risk tolerances. Like I'm, I, I know for a fact I'm probably more cash heavy than you. Um, mm -hmm. And that, that's not a flex. You, I mean, I don't think if either one of us was to try and liquidate, um, I don't know, you'd probably come out ahead. Um, but I know that I'm more liquid now than you probably are just because you, you like the market. You're, you're very into it. And, um, whereas I'm like, I like to sit on cash for when the market goes tits up and then I can throw a bunch in and make money quick. So I have cash, but I don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash <laughs> just to be, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. So yeah, but there we go. That was risk. Um, anything you would add on risk? I enjoyed your uh, your explaining how your your firm does a risk assessment with people at risk. Um, yeah, tolerance I mean, assessment. It, it, it's and I guess I was kind of thinking about like the risk ties in very much to the financial planning that we do too, right? So it's like when you talk about goals, and we're talking about risk, and it, it, it's a balance. It's like, well, how much risk are you willing to get? Will determine the goals that and the outcome of the financial planning to some degree. Cause if you tell me like, Hey, I can't stomach anything in the market. I can only sit in cash. Hey, I want to spend $10,000 a month when I'm retired and I want to go to Europe every other year. And I want to have a down payment for a lake place. It's like, okay, well, great goals. Love the goals. Um, the disconnect here is your, <laughs> the amount of risk that you're willing to accept to get there. Cause you have to save an amount of money, which is like 90% of your income to make up for the loss of compounding interest, right? That you would need to experience over a 30 year period of time to be able to satisfy that $120,000 and spend in the down payment in the Europe every other year. So uh, risk comes in, not just in the way that I talked about in terms of quantifying risk for people and helping them understand their exposure, but then also helping them see how it can be positive in the rewards that it can lead to, to be able to experience and live a very fulfilled life in terms of doing the things that they want to do, giving in the way that they want to give. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And just everybody has things they hope to do in life, you know, and I always say it's like money is a resource. Uh, money is just paper. At the end of the day, it's like we got to dig into what the meaning behind those that money is right because without meaning again it's nothing so mm -hmm. yeah i agree um yeah i don't know that i've got anything else to add on risk other than what other people perceive as risk is often just a decision for me um you know and anytime i do anything it's calculated so I look at it as a calculated decision as opposed to a calculated risk. So, yeah. you know, coming back to the moving thing, I went down there, immersed myself in the community for five days, looked at everything I think to possibly look at. I think I've had my document that I've been adding to for over a year um, or about a year now. Um, yeah, so I don't think me moving is a huge risk. 
are there some factors that I need to to think about? Yeah, but it's a decision at the end of the day. And the fallback, Spokane ain't going anywhere. Y'all will still be here doing the same shit you always do. And wow, <laughs> I can always find my way back here if I need to. And I don't mean that as a negative thing. I just mean Spokane is Spokane. And yeah, I can come back here. My last word would just be, uh, hopefully a word of encouragement to people. It's like, it, I, I, we talk about it in the office and I tell people like, if there's something that you're scared to do, if there's something that you're fearful of. That's usually the thing that you need to do. <laughs> and that's kind of what I, I try to lean into. I'm not great at it by any means, but if you're scared to do it, it means you probably should do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Agreed. But that's a way to overcome fear and to expand your risk tolerance is by doing those things you're fearful to do. Right. Uh, or that you might not even want to do, but you know, then, would be positive. Another way to put that is get comfortable getting outside your comfort zone. Yeah. Push right? it. Do something that you don't like doing, like going to the gym, man. Yeah. I don't like that. I know it'd be positive. <laughs> I can't. Anyway, thank you. McNulty and I went for a four-mile walk this week, and I golfed. Oh shit! A four-mile walk? How did that come about? I said, "Hey, you want to get together for lunch?" My meeting canceled, and he's like, "I can't today. I'm fasting." I roll. Um, but you want to go for a walk? I was like, "Sure." And he's like, "I I do a four-mile loop. Are you good with that?" I'm like, "I I have my shoes and stuff here. Like, sure, I'll change and go for a four-mile walk." And it was fun. It was good. It was enjoyable to catch up and get outside. And I'm after four miles, you actually start to sweat a little too, especially when it's hot out. I like it. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for listening. Rate, review, share, tell someone whatever you want to do with this. Um, and until the next time, be good to yourselves and to each other. Boom.